This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 505 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show Richard Rice and Jason and Emily McCarthy. Now, each of these amazing humans was on this show independently, on their own, in separate episodes. But after watching the withdrawal from Afghanistan and seeing the ripple effect and the impact not only on the Afghani people, but also on our veterans, I felt like I needed to get a group of great minds, but from different perspectives, different lenses. So just as a quick background, Richard Rice began his career in the Vietnam era and was one of the original members of Delta Force. Jason McCarthy is a Green Beret veteran who served in Iraq, and Emily was a case manager for the CIA working in West Africa. So as you can imagine, each one of these different perspectives is invaluable at looking at this entire incident. So we discuss a host of topics from some of the leadership choices and mistakes, some of the ownership elements, the community that we need to forge within our own country, the impact on the mental health of our veterans, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it more and more visible for others looking for a project like this. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help pay it forward and share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back to the show, Rich, Emily, and Jason. Enjoy. 
Okay, so we are back in the champagne room. This time, I think last time was everyone here, I was on the other side of the mic. So I'm glad now I get to put you all collectively under the spotlight. Um, so I'm here with Jason, Emily McCarthy, and Rich Rice. So thank you, firstly, for inviting me back. Oh, thanks for coming, man. We love we love hosting in the champagne room, even when we're not the host. <laughs> even when there's no champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've still yet to see the champagne, I have to say. <laughs> False advertising. <laughs> um, so on my drive up here from Ocala, I listened to you and Sarah Wilkinson um, talking about Chad. So I want to get into that. But we are sitting here with, I think, a very unique and important group of perspectives. Um, you know, Jason, you were in the more current conflicts. Rich, you were in the Vietnam era, all the way up to Somalia. And Emily from a CIA perspective. So what I want to do is just kind of initiate a conversation for a couple of reasons. Firstly, for so many of us that aren't well-versed in some of the things that are going on at the moment, now whether it's civilian, maybe it's even other branches of the military. Um, my concern as a, in, in, as a firefighter and someone's on this project now is the impact on our veterans, whether it's you know more recent or whether it's the Vietnam vets, kind of having the wound reopened, um, but also educating apolitically what's going on so that the people are getting these, you know, very polarizing white noise news feeds that we can actually learn. I listened to Mike Glover the other day do a 30-minute video that I learned more than 10 years of <laughs> of media. So um, I'm just trying to think of the best he's way to start this he's a, he's a friend of, of ours, and, you know, he's he's fighting the good fight for sure. I mean, he's got a ton of experience, and, you know, he's got he's got the, the real deal background. Absolutely. So what? Are, let's just start at the very beginning then. So let's begin with um, the parallel. So I'll bring Rich in. Um, there's a very iconic yet tragic picture floating around now of, of the helicopter over an embassy in Vietnam era and then now in Afghanistan. So let's talk about that era first, Rich, because you were kind of touching on yourself having some wounds open. So let's begin there and then we'll just organically see where it goes. Well, to be honest, it was something that I never expected before. Uh, I saw what happened in Saigon in 1975. My team had been posted to uh, the agency, and we were sent back in to bring out very, a very specific list of people along with a couple other teams. And in that process of finding those people, it was looking at the faces of the people in Saigon, the the people that were confused, that were that were fearful, some of them were terrorized because they knew that their name was on a list somewhere. Uh, and then you, you fast forward to Kabul, and the same types of people are going through those exact same processes. Only this time, their name's on a on a cell phone or attached to a cell phone. And that's how they're finding them, not by a list of paper, but by a list of cell phones. People are getting calls uh, and they're being identified and tracked that way. And those parallels that, that occurred, it's the same thing going on. It's just a different means of achieving it. And I, I never expected to see that again. Uh, you know, one would hope that you learn throughout history once you've lived it, you won't do stupid things again. Uh, and unfortunately, 
we're seeing virtually the same thing happen over again here in Kabul that we saw in 1975 in Vietnam. Now, you told me about being given a list of VIPs to extract. Um, what, what was the weight of that being told, this person you can save, these people, these support staff, whatever it was, just, just leave, them, leave them where they are? Well, the, the people we were sent after were given locations to be at, and we were, we were given the names of who to pick up and go in and bring them out and a, and a way to get them out. As we did that, most of this was happening at night, but people were just, uh, I, I say staggering, but people were wandering the streets of Saigon at that time, those that we couldn't help. And to see the, the concern and the fear on their faces for them and their families because it, it all boils down to people worried about their families and their friends. And to see that and become frustrated that we couldn't do anything to help them. Uh, there were a couple of times that we saw helicopters leaving from not the embassy, but a, a secondary location. Because there was everybody focuses on the embassy, but there was a couple of locations that that was occurring in Saigon at that time. We saw those helicopters leaving and people rushing to grab the skids or do whatever they could to get out of Vietnam because they were so fearful and they just wanted a way. They wanted to save themselves. They wanted to save their families. To, to know that there were a lot of good people there that we couldn't do anything for has got that, – that was just terribly frustrating and it's got to be the same thing going on with uh, the Marines, the Army, the Navy, whoever that's at Kabul right now, seeing the same thing happen. Throngs of people approaching them, good people, and you can't do anything about it. You have, there, there's rules, and so you have to stay by those rules, and there's nothing you can do. Yes, I, I, think, I think of this from the sort of the intel perspective of the first and second and third order effects this sort of abandoning of p people who have helped us in in country served as allies it's it's not going to be healed anytime soon when you try to recruit an asset in the future to help to help us get you know on, good on the ground intelligence in a situation they're going to remember this <laughs> and they're going to when you say things like yes we'll take care of you, we'll make sure you're safe, don't worry. When you're making all these sort of, you know, you know, promises, and they say, I, I know what you did, you know, I remember this. And this is something that makes a job of a case officer, a military intel officer, you know, someone like what Rich did and what Green Berets have to do on the ground. It makes it really hard to get your job done. Yeah. Well, a lack of trust, I think, is, you know, something that we're seeing. And that seems to be the result of a leadership void. You know, mandates seem to be the result of a leadership void. And sadly, we've got people confused and scared about all kinds of things at the moment, whether it's, you know, someone wearing a uniform in a police car or whether it's a vaccine or, you know, whatever it is. So, Jace, to you, kind of, as as you said, you, you know, you were familiar with the message that Mike's putting out there. And I think it's such an important thing for us to understand the the foundation outside of you know the obvious toll at the moment the foundation of strategically why this is wrong 
um, you know, what it, the impact is to our allies. Um, so if you wouldn't mind from a Green Berets perspective, you know, maybe mirroring some of the things that you heard Mike talking about, educate us on why, why this is not only bad from a compassion and kindness element, but from a strategic element as well. So when I was younger, I didn't really understand when people would say, oh, America looks weak or America looks strong. And I thought that that was something that if you lose a fist fight one day, you, you go do some push-ups and some bicep curls and you come back the next day and you, you know, you win the fist fight in the next week, right? And life doesn't really work like that, you know? And so this idea of making promises and not keeping them and, and, I mean, look, I don't know how to answer this specific question vis-a-vis vis-a-vis Mike, but when you look at this in terms of apolitically, right? Because I'm sick and tired of the left blaming Trump and the right blaming Obama and it's or or Biden, whatever the case may be. I mean, if you look at this from 2001 on, there's plenty of blame to go around. It doesn't do a whole lot a whole lot of good right this moment. But the goal is when there is a failure, you want to do an after action report review and you want to kind of go through what went wrong, what went right, and you want to learn from that. And to go to Rich's story, it's it's like, what did we learn? You know, what did we learn from abandoning the Kurds, by the way, right? What did we learn from, like, we just, we have this way of doing these things where there is a huge disconnect between people making short-term decisions that have long-term outcomes and then you inherit it and there are no great choices. There was no great choice for Obama in terms of Gitmo, even though that was a promise that he made. There was no great choice in terms of pulling out of Afghanistan. There was no great choice to Trump either. I mean, negotiating with the Taliban is, I mean, naive and unconscionable, frankly, to me or anybody that's, I, I didn't, fight against them, but all my buddies did and we we know where they stand. And, you know, the way that the the exit has been managed, it's objectively terrible. And so when you look at all these things together, I mean, so much gets this idea of, oh, well, we're 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 leaving Afghanistan and that becomes polarizing somehow. It's like, well, what does that actually mean and what should it mean? And go back to my take on what it should mean is Pre-2001, we had no embassy, we had no guy on the ground, we had no network. We had to re-engage everything after the towers fell. And God bless those great folks that did that, spearheaded by the CIA and then transferred over to the Green Berets and then, you know, more of the military. But we're going back to that now. We're, we're abandoning everything. So getting out doesn't have to be black or white, just like, you know, everything being so politicized, it, it's not that simple. You know, there, there is actually more nuance. Do people have an appetite for nuance? I, I don't know. I mean, there, there is risk inherent to you have an embassy in Afghanistan. Guess what? You better have one in Pakistan. We don't have one in Iran. You know, I mean, these kinds of things are, I mean, to me, the right answer is it's really easy to say now, but just to kind of break it down is you keep Bagram. It's a strategic hub. You're able to control logistics. It's it's close to there. You're you're close to China. You're close to Iran. You you control the airspace. 
through Afghanistan, right? It's, it's, it's a hub. You have an embassy in Kabul. You need Bagram in order to support an embassy in Kabul because you need the basics of, of defense. You need to support diplomats. Diplomats' job is not to, to take, frankly, lead to skull. That is not their job. And the, those who have to do that, you do that as a matter of last resort, especially when your job is to protect the diplomats. You want them meeting in diplomatic areas and everybody's assuming risk on our behalf. We need to be comfortable with some degree of risk. That is a problem that we all have, right? Our society has right now. It's if we get out, there's no risk. Well, there's less risk in a CYA type of environment for the person who's in charge, I guess. But then, you know, the next person's got to inherit something where we have no embassy and no strategic presence and, you know, and, and we've just burned all these bridges, let, let alone the humanitarian side, but we've just burned them down to the ground. And so when we need to go replicate that, th this, this somewhere else, which Green Berets and embassies and case officers, they're all over the, all over the world trying to do work on our behalf. And we're not, we're not doing them a solid without these kinds of, what does it mean? What is the intent of our, pr our presence in Afghanistan or even Iraq at this point, or, you know, th those two come to mind just because they're the, the epicenter of the global war on terror, you know, like what's our, what's our goal here? And, and that is a leadership thing that has to be stated from the top. And when you're missing that, it's hard to get all the pieces to fall in line behind that. And then you get this and it's like, well, we're going to pull out because, you know, it's been long enough. Well, wrong answer like this. Absolutely. It, it's boggling to the mind to me to think that we just let all that work just go down the drain so quickly. And that's, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. It's, it takes years to build up trust and it takes seconds to let it just evaporate. I, I have an anecdote from a former boss of mine. It was COS. Um, on my chief first, of station. Yes. Chief of station at, um, one of my tours and he, I was new. I was, I was really green and my boss before me didn't really, uh, wasn't really good at like pointing me in the right direction. But he, in, in the very first weeks of knowing him, he, he set me down and he said, let me tell you something. <laughs> we're, we're the United States of America and you, you don't, you don't go for these, you know, low hanging fruit, you know, you don't waste your time here in West Africa, <laughs> you know, going to the bottom of the heap, like you go to the very top and this is where we belong. And it just completely changed my perspective, you know, instead of like, you know, being this young case officer and hoping to get a meeting, I just started, you know, I had a different posture. And frankly, you know, that's not to say that we don't, we're not diplomatic to other countries that they're not we're not respectful to them but it is sort of a it is a confidence posture to say like hey we we are out here we have to believe that our mission is mostly good in these situations and that we need to demand we we need to say what jason was saying something like we're keeping bagram what are you going to do about it right and you need to have these hard conversations. Guess who can have those hard conversations? Diplomats can have those hard conversations. They can do it before the bullets come. I mean, I've seen, I've seen diplomats go hardball. 
and they can and they will. It's not just, it's not just please, you know, sometimes it's like, no, this is, this is what we're going to hold over your head if, if this doesn't happen. And frankly, that works in a lot of situations. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just in shock a little bit and, and very disappointed on a, on a, on a very large level that, that we would allow this to happen. And, and, and I agree, it is a, it is a leadership failure. Well, I'd, I'd echo what, what both Jason and, and, and Emily have said, and that is around the world, diplomatic missions, military missions that are working with other friendly nations that we're, that we're helping in, in various ways, they've now been undermined to a degree because those nations now are looking at the American diplomats or American military that's there to help them and wondering, can they be trusted? Should we really listen to them or not? And unfortunately, we have two pretty big allies, the UK and France, both of whom asked America for something. They asked us to stay, to extend, and we turned them down. They're our allies. They've been our allies forever. And we turned them down. Uh, it, it's kind of a simple thing for me because I'm a really simple guy. <laughs> a man's word is his bond. A country's word is its bond. It equates. And if you don't have that, if you don't have the honor to back your word, then you have let yourself down. You've let the people of your country down and you've let far others around the world who would have looked to you for leadership, you've let them down too. And that bothers me. I mean, here, here's the thing. Doha is a disaster, right? It, it's, it's not going to be reflected well in, in terms of all of this. And then though, this idea that all of the sudden you're going to blame Doha for the way that we're leaving Afghanistan is it's, it is the opposite of leadership 101. Like you don't, you cannot. I mean, you know, so you know what happens? You know who gets caught in the crossfire while you're sitting there blaming? Well, look what happens. You know, look what happens. Well, and, and, and what happens there is that just put yourself in the shoes of the enemy. And, and I'm talking about ISIS in this specific case. It's like they, they see an opportunity. They see confusion. They see, you know, they see these, you know, people crowding around the airport and they just, this is, this is their, I mean, this is their moment to make a big impact. And they did. And they hurt us. You know, we were exposed and it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be this melee. It could have been, it could have been done in a more orderly way. If it, it could have, we could have had some sort of, you know, last, you know, bit of defense, you know, to, to, as a deterrent and, and, and it just it just bothers me on, on a really deep level, as as I think it's bothered a lot of people. And and, and another thing I just want to add is that this this shouldn't have been a surprise. I've been hearing veterans who have been have spent time in Afghanistan ringing this bell for months now. They've been talking about how it's been deteriorating. There's been reports coming out. You know, there's even are, been memes all over the place memes. about here's the keys to Bagram. Like, are it's, you kidding me? It's been happening. 
like the, you know, all sorts of organizations and agencies on the ground have been, you know, ringing this bell. Look, I mean, the military, our military, God bless our servicemen and women. First off, we will go where we're told to go and we will answer the call of duty for, for the values that we hold dear. We just as a nation have to, I mean, we have to rebuild some of our, like what we, what we're willing to stand for and what we're not. And, and right now there's been just kind of trust has been lost. And, and value trust of will life. Be, yeah. I mean, if you're, you're, you're saying, well, these people are signing up and, and signing their lives away and saying, I'm going where my country sends me, it, it, it would help if the, the country is going to actually, you know, be able to put them in better situations. I mean, I'll give you I'll give you one example of second and third order effects. I mean, I believe that the greatest struggle, as as horrific as the things are in Afghanistan, if we look out for a decade, two decades, the next generation, I mean, the greatest struggles will be won or lost from within, and it's it's up for us. I mean, there's there's needless loss of life that is kind of the collateral damage in this, but you know after. After Mogadishu in 1993, you know, my, 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 I'm not proud of this necessarily, but my, my grandfathers, both of them, one of them fought in Korea, you know, the other was in the merchant Marines and they were like, who would ever want to serve in Clinton's army? And, and I, remove the politics aside, right? Clinton did some fine stuff. The economy got it right. You know, that's good. But when you start to say, what are, the, what are the effects of this? And have I heard people say, I don't want my son serving in Biden's army? Yes, I have, right? Have I heard people say, I don't want my son fighting in Trump's army? Yes, I have, right? I mean, people didn't want to serve in Obama's army. Yes, I've heard that. And Bush's army because, I mean, look, the, the problem is, is that who's going to end up answering that call and, and, what, and are they going to be this degree of confidence that Emily mentioned. It's the same for diplomats as, as for soldiers. You know, I, I took an enormous amount of confidence with me and fear with me to, to Iraq when I went, but I knew that I had the support of the American people. And, and that was, you know, it was a tough time for Iraq then 2007, it was not good, you know? And, and so that we we've gotten this part of it, right. We, as a nation, you know, support the soldier. We, we still have a ways to go. And, it, and it's okay and it's productive for us to have longer form conversations about the kind of country that we want to be. And this is a wake-up call and it has to be, it has to be. If we just kind of, I mean, a part of me, I can't even watch the news right now. It just makes me too mad. I haven't for 10 years. Right? Yeah, I unplugged cable <laughs> 10 years ago. And, yeah. and it's like, so I have to read about this a little bit because it, it's, it's calming or it's calmer if I read it in a, in a magazine or something and it's not, you know, just blaring at my face. And I'm, I'm pretty good at not getting overly sensitized or, or aggressive reactions to things, but I'm, you know, I, I'm not myself right now. I don't, and I know millions and millions of, of people, and especially those who serve and those who have served overseas in any capacity, who can kind of put themselves in, in the, the, the shoes of the people on either end or both ends of, of what's going on in Kabul. It's just, it's really hard. And the, the, the next chapters have to be the hard work of, of rebuilding. And I'm getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but 
the hope is that you rebuild. And if that's all we have and we have to rebuild, then, then that's what we're going to do. But the first thing that we have to do is acknowledge that this is, this is a problem. We don't need to wait until the report to come out decades later that says, you know, the Vietnam War was not waged very well. It's, it's okay. Let's just kind of jump to the conclusion there and do it a little bit faster without as much as possible without turning this into left blaming, you know, the left blaming Trump and the right blaming Biden. It doesn't do a damn bit of good. But somebody's got to take responsibility. Correct. The, the economist. What's the cover say, Jace? Biden's the, what? Debacle. Biden's debacle. I mean, it, 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 it lands it, it lands in somebody's lap. And I mean, a rock falls on a rock falls on George W. Bush. That's what it is, yeah. you know. And and this the this certainly falls on Biden. I mean, that's just that's not political. That is, you are the commander in chief. You are you are responsible for mm -hmm. this. Yeah. So, Rich, question for you because I agree completely. What I talk about all the time because this is apolitical, but we have a leadership void here. Now I'm hearing obviously a lot of men and women in the military that I respect immensely that I've had on the show calling out their chain of command. I've myself have been you know, as a firefighter, I've seen the horrendous you know, lack of leadership in some fire departments that have led to deaths and suicides and cancers and all these things too. It seems to me that the way we allow the final ballot to look is completely broken. And there are so many great leaders out there, you know, Mike, Jocko, I even love Tulsi. I think she's great. Um, that never can have the opportunity in this current um, way that we do business to ever be a leader. So with you having a little bit more time under your belt, are there any... <laughs> That's one way to say it. That's a very English way of saying you're old. <laughs> I'm right there with you, though. I'll accept it. <laughs> um, no, but... Where were there times in the last few decades where you thought there was good leadership? And how can we improve the way we get leaders to the top of the pile? I'll be really honest here. Please. I think that, that virtually every leader we've had, every president we've had, let's use that as an example, has had some good points. Unfortunately, we as a per people, individuals, we focus on what we really do well and we kind of handle the rest of it. So that creates its own situation right there. That if I'm a good economist, then I'm going to focus on the economy. And we've had some presidents that have done a good job. The problem is compounding because our economy was not created by any one person. It was created by numbers of people. And yet everybody wants to take either blame somebody else or they want to take credit for it themselves. To me, I, when I think about strong leadership, I think of people of honor. And I'll use that word again. I think honor is the most important thing. Someone that, that brings to the table their foibles, and yet they bring a sense of honesty 
and loyalty and garner the trust of others through those credits. And I, I'm not sure exactly how we get there from here. Uh, there, there's a, a number of ways. America gets the choice. They get to choose who is their leader. They get to choose the leaders that exist within their communities and their, their nation and so on. Education is the most important thing of all. Educating people to understand what's occurring. Too many people want a soundbite. And then we, we've been trained. We've kind of trained ourselves to listen to sound bites and then make decisions, far-reaching decisions, as opposed to, ah, hear the soundbite, then go do a little research. Is that correct? And, and educate yourself and educate those around you to what's going on. That's why I think mentorship is so important, because that's a form of education to those around you in a clean sense. Not, not for politics or political gain or, or economic gain, just a true abiding sense of education to be smart. And the smarter you are, the better you'll be at picking who those leaders are. There are, there are some people that are natural leaders or have some natural tendencies to leadership. But leadership is a learned art. You don't just, you're not just totally born with leadership. And education builds those leaders. And I think that's why, that's why I'm so, uh, I, I've always been strong on education while I was in the military and after the military and even today to a certain degree. I, I push education to people. Go out and make yourself smarter and pick the people that, that you think are going to be the most honest. Now, you're not always going to pick right. I, I've, I bought some cars that were serious lemons, but I bought some cars that were pretty damn good because I did some <laughs> research and educated myself. So, you, you know, that's life. And you just have to learn to accept that. I, I always love it when you bring education to the table when we talk about these kinds of things, because I think that is at the heart of the matter. Um, but just going back to sort of the leadership, because I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of people in America feel like they don't have that choice, you know, or it just... Yeah, the last they, two is they, awful. It just feels like there's no, you know, the, the options are, there are no good, no options, good options, or if they, yep. you know, or there's, there's this, you know, even not even conspiracy theorists feel like it's a, a done deal. You know, I mean, I think these are real, these are real problems that we need to address in, in the education field and, 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 and other places. But going back to leadership, and I'm not going to get specific here, but I just, I think about this and I keep coming back to, you know, some of the best leadership moments or the, the, the times when you really are impressed by someone's leadership. It's when it's a self-sacrifice of sorts, you know? I mean, even it's when people are making choices that do not, that aren't, 
that is they aren't in their own best interests. It's not in popular. it's not po- maybe not popular, yeah. or it's for the good of the country, right? The first one that comes to mind is Ford pardoning Nixon. Right? Everyone said this is going to cost you. You're never going to get elected if you do this, and you know he just viewed it as the right the right answer. And history has he got crucified. History has said that was like we needed to move on. Right. And so to bring that forward to today, it's not really going to do us any good to, you know, pull out the pitchforks and, and go after the people. What would be nice is an active and educated citizenry. And so we each have the opportunity to do that with, with our own lives and with our own circles of trust and with the people that we, you know, that we hang out with right in the real world and you can you can read books you can read m- magazines that are serious you know thought leading magazines you can go back and read you know Marcus Aurelius you can read classic texts to see how this is is playing out before our very eyes and maybe that'll also ignite a little fire in you to to make some damn difference as as to how we can better our own trajectory you, you know i was just thinking something it's like when I was in the government and even before in the lead up, I would always just try to take this, I don't know, I don't know what some of these leaders know, you know, sort of thing and give this benefit of the doubt. But I'm, I'm 42 now and I don't know a lot of things, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to still have that mentality, but I'm having, a, I'm struggling with it because I just... I just don't think that, you know, in this specific case we're talking about, that it, 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 it had to be, had to go the way it, it's gone. You I, know? I'm struggling when people go on and they say this is unfathomable that this would happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, I'm not in the business of calling people liars because the definition of lying is someone knows that they're, they're saying something that is actually untrue. I'm just saying I have a hard time believing that that is is true. So it's either shielded by bureaucracy or it's I don't know, but I don't believe that. Well there, there's something else and I, I, it kind of goes back to something Emily said struck my mind. We all look for a good leader, someone that that we can look up to. The smartest thing a good leader can do is surround themselves with good people, intelligent people that know what they're doing. Experts in their own field. Exactly. Because no one person is going to understand all aspects. And we, we've kind of forgotten that. Some of the people that, that, that I have looked up to in the past, some of the presidents, some of the leaders I've had in the military, some of the leaders I've had outside the military, are those that, that surround themselves with smart people in their fields and make decisions based on intelligence and education gathered from each one of those. And that's important to keep in mind also. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm I'm struggling to see this situation in Afghanistan as a Sophie's choice sort of situation. <laughs> I I'm really am. Like I don't think that there is there was like no good option. Because there are situations when there are no good options and a leader is put in a terrible, terrible situation. I, I, am, I am not seeing this. And I'm, again, I'm not an expert in this, but I don't know if you have to be an expert in this case to see that that was 
not the way to go. I felt, I, I, I just think that there was a lot of political pressure to leave. But it's one of those things. It's that you, you, once you're there, it becomes more dangerous to, to leave the way we left than it does to stay in a certain capacity. And I, I think that's what France was saying. I think that's what the UK was saying. I think that's what the in, a lot of intel reports coming out were saying. And, you know, did, we have done this before where we've maintained a presence in other countries after we've, quote unquote, gotten out. This is not, this is not like new. Well, let's talk about you know, something through all three of your lenses, I think is very important. I had uh, Johnny Walker on, who was the Navy SEALs interpreter, and he ended up becoming an unofficial SEAL. And I think it took him three and a half years to get him and his family out when they foresaw, you know, the, the uh, withdrawal from Iraq. And hearing what that man did, and obviously his family, the risk they took for this country night after night, and, you know, these SEAL teams cycled through. Johnny was every night, you know what I mean? So... So incredibly powerful. One specific story, and I've had other people on, you know, Fahim Fazli, who was an Afghani. Um, he moved to the U.S. and then actually was an actor. He acts now. He was in 12 Strong and some of those other ones. But he joined the Marines for three years and became an interpreter with them. So I've heard some of these incredible stories. I'd love to hear your own perspective of some of the the sacrifices that you've seen with your own eyes, whether it's in Africa, whether it's, you know, Vietnam or Iraq, of these, these, um, you know, indigenous people that are, they and their families are risking life and limb for a country thousands of miles away. Obviously, we're there helping them that, you know, so that people can paint the picture of the vulnerability and the sacrifice through their eyes. Sure. It, it, for me, it goes back to Vietnam and the mountain yards. Uh, that's the people that, that I worked with that were the mountain people of Vietnam. Uh, I had a mountain yard team. And I had two interpreters that worked with me. And one of the things that struck me when I first got there, it, it, oh, probably I'd been there two or three weeks. And it dawned on me. I was there for a year. I knew that was my tour for a year. These guys' tour was a lifetime. That's what they're there for. But they've committed to helping the Americans and, and or the South Vietnamese in the fight against the North in that particular instance. And when we got out of Vietnam, so many of those people were left behind. And there was a group of, of Green Berets that came together to get those mountain yards that we possibly could that wanted to come out. Because some of them just faded back into the hills and nobody bothers them. They leave them alone. But some of them did want to come out. And so we got them out, brought them out. And there are small enclaves around America of mountain yards living in hill country, just happy as clams. But that was, we owed that to them because of what they had sacrificed, what they had given up, their freedom in that country when the North Vietnamese took over to, to come and help us. And that's, that's a man's word is his bond. Or well, Tu Lam, one of your fellow Green Berets, he was on early in the, in the podcast and his, I think it was just his mother, I think, and he escaped on a boat. The boat was shot at. It almost sank him, and he almost died escaping. But the the kind of I don't know if you'd use genocide, but whatever the description of the mass murder of the South Vietnamese people after the withdrawal was horrendous. And you know he obviously became a soldier himself. But I mean that's you know these people are 
literally sacrificing everything and this this withdrawal you know as you said what, what kind of trust what kind of loyalty is that that we've left those people unprotected now yeah, we we have a commitment to them and we have not honored that commitment they say in the agency training that the hardest thing to ever sell someone is espionage against their own country and that's because what rich is saying is that they run the risk of never being able to be there again. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, whether they don't like the leader in place or things have all gone to hell, it's still their home. And you're basically telling them, uh, you might lose your home forever, (laughs) you know, and all that you hold dear. And that is, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask some people. Sure, there are people out there that that's what they do. That's their that's their that's their life, and that's what they're looking for, and that's their op- opportunist, and and they 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 are sometimes a mixed bag. But the ones that are most valuable are the ones that they know it's not in their best interest to be helping the United States and the situation. And there there are so many stories coming out of Afghanistan of people who've done that. Who, who literally are putting their lives and their families' lives on the line when, when they've and they've been doing that for years. And now, you know, it's it's become, you know, I know there's organizations out there and they're trying to get these people out and and, and I've heard some success stories, but it 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 probably should have been a little taken care of a little bit better. But you know, I, I don't you know, being my experience was not in Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, it was a it was the global war on terror in a different way. It wasn't you know quite as kinetic, but it, there there were the risk was still there, and you know there there were very high value targets that that I recruited um, that you know I think about them still, and I and I I can't be in touch with them, and I hope that they're okay. Um, because they they risk they they to meet with me, to give me the intelligence that they gave me, it, it was a humongous risk for them. When you look at the type of person who's willing to fight, bleed, die beside you, I mean, they're especially when you get to the guys that are working with special forces. So if it's the commandos or the the elite soldiers within the the elite soldiers within let's say Afghanistan or Iraq the the similarities are are close right i mean these are these are tribal cultures in so many ways people know each other's business this is not something where you're in your your high rise in in New York City and you don't know who your neighbor is that that doesn't exist everybody knows everybody else's business so the people in neighborhood over here they know exactly who's uh who's in the you know the the special forces in Afghanistan or the special forces in Iraq or whatever the case may be which puts an enormous target on these people now i would love to sit and and tell you Oh, man, the, the the happy story would have been, okay, great, we've trained up these soldiers and they are they fight like lions. But let's be let's be very clear. I mean the 
the the commandos the the special forces side of of that is they are they are strong fighters right and there is a moral uh moral you're in it together they they hate the taliban they hate what they stand for they hate you know isis they hate all of these things they they're, they're fighting for their country as we would fight for ours as we as we do fight for ours we just happen to be in their country so in an ideal world this hypothetical fairyland fairy tale world you sort of say all right we've trained them up now you know let them go let them go fight and rich would talk about you know you need a proper nco you know hierarchy and you need kind of leadership and you know you can we can debate this until the end of time i mean the mountain yards were never going to kind of assimilate into the the fighting force and and withstand the north vietnamese coming down right um, so you sort of say, th- this is, this is an ideal world. The, the reality of the situation is often very different than the fairy tale. And the reality is you've got these commandos and these people who have sacrificed hugely that we have made direct and indirect promises to. And there, there does have to be a vetting process because, you know, everybody wanting to leave is, it's like, damn, you know, we can't do everything. But you have to make a list and you have to work the list. It's it's your high value people and then there's more. And what can we do? And how do we go to partners and say, hey, can you take more of these kind of, can you take more of these allies that we have who are in country? And it's it's messy. It's really messy. But the ones that, the ones who who have the bullseye on them now, it, you know, it's it's heartbreaking. Is what it is, and in to to be really frank, I mean, what's going on right now? We're going to leave. It's getting bad. It's getting worse. It's going to get even worse, and then what's going to happen is it's still going to be a lingering thing in our newspapers, and we're still going to hear about it, and then we're just not. It's going to be another, you know, another country that just has, you know horrific things going on that people are completely desensitized to and there will be a small a small cadre of people a small group of people percentage wise certainly who are still committed to that whether it's syrian refugees it's like syrian refugees what's that you know people can't wrap their arms around it really you know and it's it's going to turn into the same thing and and that part is that part is difficult but the to riches part about honor i mean the honorable thing to do is those that fought and bled and and died beside us the ones who have the biggest bullseye if if they want to leave the right thing is to do is to put them on the plane and this is the united states of america goddammit we're going to land our plane wherever we damn well please and we're going to put our our people there that we are securing and then that same goddamn plane is going to fly right back and it's going to go pick up as many more as we need to and if that means you got to start working the phones to secure the partners in the countries that are closer so you can do this shuttle service more often then great that's what you do and that's that's the high level diplomacy that needs to be happening and then you've got you know you've got a refugee camp at Leeds at in a, in a peaceful country and it's the people that that have supported us and in this in this alternate reality that would be much better america now stands for something greater than than what we look like we stand for now even though the american people that's what we would be so proud if that's what were happening and this were as orderly that's an important word as orderly as possible and instead that's that's just not what's going on 
Uh, well, Emily, you talked about you know groups banding together. That's one thing I've seen. Whether it's this evacuation, whether it's mental health, whether it's so many things, I see you know members of the military, police, fire, whoever they're the ones picking up the gauntlet. Yeah. Because the ones with all the budget, the so-called leaders, are dropping the ball over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. You see a lot of private citizens. You see a lot of groups. Um, you know, a lot of NGOs. I mean. <laughs> Sometimes these NGOs, I mean, I've seen them in action. They do a lot of amazing work out there. And they are they are in the line of fire and often without, um, you know, proper gear and protection. And they're putting their lives on the line, um, as, as do our troops that are there. Um, you know, something that I've been thinking about, which, which isn't an excuse in this situation, but it is... It is a factor, and in, in this case with Afghanistan, it is a huge factor, and that—that that is corruption, right? Corruption, I think, is the bane of all, you know, evil existence, you know, here on Earth. I think it allows for evil, you know, terrorist groups and and this sort of, you know, taking advantage of other people, exploitation. It, corruption often is at the root of, of a lot of these of these problems. And, you know, Afghanistan is probably, you know, one of the more corrupt countries. Um, but again, the, the all the more reason to have, you know, a coalition force on the ground in some capacity. And I'm not talking about a surge. I'm not talking about, you know, sending more of America's sons and daughters in masses, but but this idea of an orderly uh, exit or, you know, like it it didn't have to go this quickly. It and, 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 you know, there is a level of corruption going on. I mean, there's been and, and again, I'm not an expert on this. I'm just saying what I'm I'm seeing and what and, you know, a lot of this is like once you've spent some time in countries like this. These patterns just come back, right? You know, you have the Afghan National Army not getting paid for months, right? You have, you know, the the president of Afghanistan, Ghani, just whip out, you know, the and and you know these things are not they 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 weren't they didn't just happen out of thin air. These were things that were going working down. That drug deal for a long. It's been time. going for a long time, and guess guess who knew about that. <laughs> anybody who was in Afghanistan. <laughs> I mean, this is this is not brain surgery. This is how the world works. This is how people work when when these sorts of things happen. And and you know, we're smarter than this. We're better than this. We can anticipate these things. And I think what we do is we do that with some carrot and com- and some stick. And and that's the combination and that's what, you know, where it takes the 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 diplomacy plus the backing of, of 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 armies, not just us, but our allies who, like you said, Rich, were saying, please, please don't don't leave us here. This would be very bad. Here's ten thousand reasons why. We know these people had these conversations, not because I was there, but just because this is how this is how it's gone in history. And you know, I don't know. Who, I don't know what 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 happened behind closed doors when it just said, "Well, let's just let's just go." It's like when the sergeant goes to his commanding officer and he says, "Are you really ordering me to do this?" He's like, "Yes, I'm ordering you to do this." 
And at that point, you you have to be a good soldier. And it's it's like. But everybody knows it's wrong. We've seen the movies. You've seen those movies when those moments, those are those critical mo- moments. Where- I've been on fire grounds where someone's told me something and I've actually kind of managed a way of not doing it because I know it's just going to make it worse or be completely ineffective. And, mm-hmm. but you know, the turn around, oh yeah, I'm doing what you told me, but you know, yeah. And it's, it's horrendous. <laughs> Cause you know, it's a death sentence. Yeah. Or, or you just know it's just wrong. wrong. Yes, exactly. So what I'm seeing again, back to the leadership void um, right now, I think there's no, if you want to pull one positive out of it, I think that, most people in the middle are realizing that these people that have touted themselves as leaders for a long time are incompetent when it comes to to leading. We've had this pandemic and the division and the misinformation and now mandates screams leadership void. You know, we've had the issue with with the wars and sadly what really kills me, you know, look at the the obesity epidemic. 70% of our country now is ob- overbeat overbeat overweight or obese. And that's both sides. over obese. Over <laughs> obese, yeah, obese. Um, but, uh, you know, but when you also have a system where some people are getting rich off these issues, I think that becomes a really, a cancer in leadership. You know, if you, if you have lobbyists that are peddling pills that only work if you are overweight or obese, the chronically sick, or you have, you know, a war that started and our men and women are dying, but by the way, Steve's making money hand over fist, that becomes like a Or Eric a Prince charging $6,500 a seat to get out of Kabul. It's it's the epitome of disgusting. Yeah. I mean, it's just unconscionable when, when you're doing, you're already a, worth billions of dollars and it's just like- This is corruption, on. right? This is what I'm talking but about. But that, that's like, the thing. So is- whether it's Africa, whether it's you know the UK or America, this is the same kind of human- whether they're wearing a loincloth or a business suit. And I think that's one thing that's just been brought to the surface. Is this well, is, servant this is leadership is what's required. Absolutely. No, no, off. please. Servant leadership. Not I'm in a position of power and you're going to do what I say. Or, you know, it, it's just. Or I'm beholden to all these, these groups, you know, yeah. and I have to do their bidding. I mean, what is best for, what is best for our people? And, and. You know, I, I don't. We don't have the fortune of having the crystal ball to tell us what's going to happen in the future. If you look at history, sometimes you 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 finally wake up a people, and I think so many of us are out there screaming as loud as we can to say it's time to wake up for real, and and it, it does take these moments where then you get someone who is empowered to do something that's more positive. I mean, where's our latest JFK moment, right? Ask not what your country can do for you. You can't get elected saying that right now. You know, it's like you're going to lose the meme wars. That's not very cool or whatever, you know, but how do you find, how does someone emerge that can do that, that does make that? But Jason, you know, looking at, modern history and, and looking at leaders, I can give you countless examples of good leaders who had this moment where they were freedom fighters and they were, you know, had all these good intentions. And then once they get in power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it's just, you know, these are not just bad people who ended up in power. 
these were humans, <laughs> like what Rich was saying, that do some things well and then some things poorly, and they get put in this position. And it's really, it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to give people a break here. I'm not trying to let someone off the hook necessarily, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that this is somewhat just the human condition, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, but, but how do we get around that? And I don't have all the, I don't have an answer, but I'd like to think that what Rich was touching on in two different points is, is something it's one education and two, it's not. It's, it's surrounding yourself with a bunch of people, right? It's not just one leader, it's leadership. It's like people working together to, to make good decisions, right? And it's that sometimes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen and, and all that, but, you know, and there has to be a person who stands up finally and says, I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to make a decision. And that's, you know, that, that is happening in some way, shape or form. It's just sometimes it's, really wrong. So, so let's take this to our own lives, right? And let's say, what if each of us examined and looked in the mirror just a little harder, right? It's easy to, it's easy to point to Washington and take these leadership tips about surround yourself with good people and do the right thing and servant leadership and all these things that will sell you a trillion books if you, if you do it well, and you'll be a, you know, an influencer, which those are the people that are doing that well, that we, we need them to do that. And we need them to actually connect with the people. But, you know, are we doing that? Like, let's, let's look at ourselves. Are we doing this or are we chasing the latest thing, the article full of hate, are we, are we just kind of not thinking about things? Pointing fingers. We're just pointing fingers or, look, this headline has this thing. And, you know, you go to the site with all the 5,000, you know, Las Vegas lights just staring back at you. Like, you've got to look. It's every single title on there is just more outlandish than the next. And it's like, man, you start to think that this is normal. I mean, this is just ridiculous, right? I mean, go read a book. Go calm down a little bit. Think a little bit. Look at look inside yourself and say, I can be the leader of what I can be the leader of. You don't have to be the president in charge of the the the, the Kabul evacuation or whatever whatever is going on at the withdrawal at, at this point. It's sort of what can I control? And how do how am I a better leader to those who depend on me? It's it's a word that's often thrown around like you have to be president to be a leader, but if you're a parent, you're a leader. If you have, you know, people that depend on you in any way, shape, or form, you're you're a leader and you're important. And it's 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 time for people to realize that that's the best place to start. And if more of us do that and take the empowerment that we have, you know, the the fabric that that really underpins America will be infinitely stronger. Yeah, well, I think the community element is is so important. And, you know, I I get people coming all the time. Oh, thanks for posting the positive stuff. Where do you find this? I'm like, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's just it's not on Fox News or CNN. I hate to tell you, you're not going to have any positivity. You're just going to have a screen split into four with four dickheads arguing with each other. That's it, left and right. But as you said, open, well, starting in your family, affecting your family first, and then open your front door and look outside and find a group to help, whether it's a gardening club, whether it's teaching karate, whether it's whatever. And I think we've lost that. You know, if, if all of us just affected 
our street would change the world. Instead, as you said, people are, you know, clicking on clickbait and finding their confirmation bias sites and, you know, say, see, see, I told you, you know, the Chinese made the, the virus or whatever it is that they're looking at. That's not changing anything. That's, that's cyberspace. But what you can touch is what you can, can fix. And as Rich said, mentorship, absolutely. You take wherever you live, you take a young man or woman and you steer them down a path that's going to be, you know, productive for them. That's the next generation. You could literally change the world with that. Even right now, though, I can feel people out there that are listening to this like, yeah, this is some, you know, whatever. This is some touchy-feely stuff. Let's get back to the, you know, who's to blame and who's not. <laughs> and, you know, we have to realize that that comes naturally to us. These defense mechanisms or whatever they are point the finger and leadership goes against some of our, our worst natural instincts, right? I'm responsible. The buck stops here. This is who's in charge. This is how we're fixing it. This is, this is my intent. Stuff like that. That goes a long way to, to calm things down. When someone takes responsibility for something that doesn't go well, that's actually a, a sign of strength, right? But when you start saying, you know, oh man, we, we all, and I do, I do it too. Like, hey, we are all empowered. To, to be leaders of, in, in our own lives, to, to impact those around us. And it just doesn't, you don't make memes out of this stuff, right? Stop, stop chasing down the latest memes. So how, you know, f- put, if you're going to put your head down, put it in a book sometime instead of staring at some clickbait scroll through whatever, like this universe, this metaverse, whatever shit's going on right now with all these enormous goggles on and we're just going to live inside of screens and stuff. I mean, is that how you want to live your life? I mean, that's not how I want to live my life. And we are just the sheeple if we're just going along with everything that our phone tells us, and it's ridiculous, and people need to, at an individual responsibility level, which, by the way, America exists because that happens. The individual responsibility led to collective responsibility and people pledging their sacred honor in, in, in pursuit of this dream called America, and we need to get back to that. Well, I think we can take a a lesson from the allies that we're talking about. These people risk their lives, their family risk their lives for their own country and for, you know, these foreign military that were in their country. That's an incredible level of service. And yet we're not be able to, we're not willing to do it in our own country. I think, you know, we need to learn from the Afghan people that we're trying to get out right now. I mean, you look at the Gulf War in, in what was it, 91, 92 with, with Bush 41. I mean, not everything was perfect. We turned our back on the Kurds. You know, collateral damage there, not great, not good, bad, right? At least there was a coalition. You can take a lot of good out of what that was. There was a coalition. There was people who said, this will not stand, and it didn't stand. And you had all kinds of allies and support and... You know, that was a, you know, Saddam turned it. I get it, right? He turned it to his own people and said, look, I chased out the Americans. Well, you know, regardless of whether we would have gone back to Iraq, it was those decisions, I believe, will will be reflected well upon upon President Herbert Walker Bush, right? Bush 41. And it's just because there was a certain, you know, there was a certain honor to it in in aligning all of these partners. And then yet, even though, 
We turn our back on the Kurds. It's war. It's messy. It's not. It's never going to go perfect. But it doesn't have to be this bad, you know, where just everything is foobar. Well, I think that's one of the issues as well. I don't know if you agree, but it's chasing perfection. Like, say, this this current pandemic. Oh, we're trying to get the cases to zero. You're never going to get the cases yeah, to zero. Yeah, it's, it's zero appetite for risk. Mm-hmm. Like, if if... I mean, if, if they publicized the, the death numbers of the flu or, or uh, heart disease, how, how, about if they, how about if we start doing that, right? Let's focus on heart disease and treat it like the, treat it like the global pandemic. Which and, it is. And then, and then let's more. see. It's way more. And then let's see. The, the call to action there is do some push-ups, get off your ass and go for a walk outside, be more active physically and socially, right? Because these feelings of belonging and, and such like that, that comes from human interaction in a community type social environment, not from how many likes or friends you have online. It's it's Those are negative correlations with your happiness, right? We're talking about a lot of different things here, right? You know, we're talking about Afghanistan, talking about leadership and social media and, you know, service. But like, what's what's sort of the I I keep thinking like, well, what's what's the through line here? What what are we really talking about? (laughs) You know, and I think that these are all they all are factors. And but but really, like if you if you play it out, if you pull the thread on why you know things are went so poorly in Afghanistan, I I think it's because there was political pressure to get out. Now, where did that political pressure come from? It came from a very divided country, right? Why is the country divided? <laughs> because people are angry, they're unhappy, they're isolated, they're the you know i just read an article and about how you know in the on the airlines people are are worse than ever and yet you know this has kind of been the trend for some time now where you know people just want to shit on other people and why is that <laughs> it's you don't really you can't do that so easily if you if you uh are connected to people Right. And, and, and if it really boils down to, and I'm not trying to oversimplify things, but if you really boil down to, I think, I think the crux of all this is a lot of the social media and the screens. I think it's insidious. And I think it's, we don't even realize at this point how much this is tearing communities apart. I don't think we even haven't, I don't think we even understand the depth of how isolating this is. And and we as human humans do not do well in those situations. Very few people can live off the grid successfully and happily. I I, I it's it's not even worth even citing. People need other people and we need to be able to connect with them in real and meaningful ways. And the institutions and the ways that we've connected for hundreds and thousands of years have all of a sudden in in a matter of blink of an eye have been eroded in a lot of ways and i don't think we i don't think we've really grasped that on a fundamental level yet 
Because who in this room can say that they don't stare at a screen most of the day? I know I do. No one. And we are sitting here. I mean, let's put the mirrors up in our own faces. Rich, you're probably the only one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe, maybe one Because you got some time under your belt. <laughs> but, like, think about that for a second. Oh, absolutely. Well, speaking of connection and community, one thing, one area I want to transition to, so I'll make sure that we do, the, the impact of what's happened on our veterans. So I'd love to start with you, Rich, because, you know, again, it is history repeating itself. We are seeing... You know, another withdrawal, another group of men and women that are coming home that even though at the root of, of you know, what they did, all of them made a difference. And I had uh, Jeremiah Wilbur on the show you know, and, and we were talking about that. And I said, you know, first responders, there are some some elements that aren't changing obesity, addiction. And we keep running on the same people over and over and over again. So it's kind of the similar thing, but we made a difference for the people that we actually responded to, even if we can't affect the route. So what did you see in Vietnam from after the withdrawal from the mental health element from your generation? And then are you seeing a ripple effect again, almost like a rebirth of that now that we're witnessing a similar thing on the televisions in 2021? Yeah, the world was a, America was a different place. The world was a different place, but America in particular was a different place when I came back from, from my tours in Vietnam. Uh, the American people uh, were divided, but for different reasons. And there were a lot of, there was a lot of anti-war sentiment, if you will. So there was that to contend with, but there was a tremendous groundswell of, of veterans at that time that were became disenfranchised because they felt they had left something undone that that they had not completed and I'm starting to see the same thing now uh, today alone I've had eight or ten different veterans contact me and just just to reach out because they're frustrated. They don't know what to think because they spent time in, in Iraq, Afghanistan, and they again are feeling that disenfranchisement that, that they're, they did something, but it was never completed. Because we all, as, as people, we, we look at taking on a task, doing the task, and completing the task. And the guys that have been contacting me are just, they're, they're really lost because they don't see a completion, because there is no completion. The, the best thing that I can tell them, because they, they, they say, oh, you know, what, what's the answer? Well, I don't have all the answers. You know, maybe we'll get some in this life. Maybe we'll get some in the next life. I don't know. Uh, you, you have to understand that and you have to accept that. But what I remind them is their time, whatever, whatever that was, one tour, two tours, eight tours, it doesn't matter. But their time was spent standing shoulder to shoulder with their brothers and defending people who were under attack. 
And they did that honorably. And we celebrate and honor the lives of those who didn't come back. And we offer our prayers and thanks to those that are still there fighting the good fight. And hopefully that message rings true with them. I believe it. If I didn't believe it, I'd probably be in a really bad place. Uh, but it's it, it doesn't stop the frustration, but it makes you turn and look at a, the whole aspect of what's going on from a different perspective. And I think that's important for people to do, to consider that. The, the service has to transcend. It is transcendent. And you don't always get to see how that plays out. It, it plants seed in, seeds in your own heart, in the hearts of those you served with, and in the hearts of those who, who watched you serve. And that's a multi-generational thing. And, and we don't have the luxury in this world where we can have everything that we want. We don't have the luxury of knowing how all of that turns out. And it's, it's really frustrating when you see what's going on right now. Not only is there not kind of a, there's not a completed mission or anything, but there's not a lot to hang our hat on right this second. And, you know, that's, that's certainly, that's, that's hard to process. And if you're, angry and you're frustrated and you're sad, you're, you're not alone. And that's a really important thing to acknowledge. So, so you hear a lot about how Americans have such short-term memories or short-term sort of plans and that, you know, other countries like China play the long game. And I wonder about that because I don't know if that's true or not, <laughs> you know, we, but what we hear this, I mean, even out of Afghanistan, you know, the quote from Ben Bunn's piece from an, an Afghan elder when he was saying, hey, you guys are running late. What's going on? He's like, well, you guys have the watches, but we have the time. And, you know, it's like this sort of more ancient culture that's just not not into sort of like, where's my Amazon Prime, you know? come in, uh, you know, in 48 hours sort of thought. But, you know, I guess my, my question is, is that I don't know, like, how do we change a mindset of a people? <laughs> like, how do you, how do you say to your children and, and say, you might not reap the rewards of this life, <laughs> you know, you might not see that your sacrifices matter. But you just have to hope that they do, that what you do matters. Well, it's some degree of servant leadership, and it's not about you. And, and you know, if more people fight that good fight like that, you add up all those little pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters and, and dollars, and you've got a lot. You've got a lot to stand on. It's just that is a, that is a cultural battle worth fighting in households, schools, communities all over the country and all over the the freedom loving world to get our our kids and ourselves to not only believe that but to act upon it. Where do you think that's that exists right now in in America? Well, service is a is a family business in in a very small 
sector of of our country and you know the the problem is is that money has become kind of the the ultimate currency for lack of a better way to say it and it's in in the hearts and in the minds of those who have lived a different life than in just that pursuit it's not the ultimate thing and there is such a you know what are our goals as human beings like do you want to be rich happy both i mean there there's there's trade-offs that we that we make and the more that we read history the more that we learn about ourselves and the only way we learn about ourselves is by doing challenging things and doing those things with other people. And the more that we do those kinds of things to bind us to other people, the more we feel the need, desire, and want to serve other people. And, and that becomes its own thing. And you, you need someone to inspire in, to, to a greater extent than what we've had in, in shoot the, the, a long time. Yeah. And you need to, you need to actually present something that is relevant, that is not just angry and full of, you know, I hate these other people living this other way of life. And you have to, you have to lead this way. You want, if you want people to follow a certain way of life, you need to make it accessible to them. And so, you know, I believe once people, actually engage with other people and go outside and and start to become more active physically socially all those things that it becomes addictive and and that is a good addiction and for me service became addictive and i i was shocked that it did because my my vision was i'm going to get my revenge for what happened 911 and then i'm going to go back and i'm going to i'm going to chase money and you know be a consultant and a businessman and whatever you know wall street 1980s lifestyle you know, I just had this little bit of service to, to, well, at least I did that. That's good. Right. Like check the box. And, you know, the thing is, is once, you, once you do that, once you realize what it's like to serve next to somebody and how rewarding and fulfilling that is, I mean, it, it, it is, there's, it's transcendent for, for yourself your happiness, your psyche for the people around you, for your community that is inspired by it, and collectively for our nation. And we have made strides. We have made strides, positive strides in rewarding those who serve. It's trite, and sometimes I don't want to hear it, but thank you for your service. You know, Hallmark card style is a lot better than getting spit on when you, when you come back from, from the Vietnam War. We just need to take this just a couple additional steps. And when we look back at, you know, there's lots of, of points that we can make about equality and, you know, supporting our veterans and honoring those who serve. And, you know, there, there are really positive markers that are easy to forget about. And we need to draw strength from the fact that those exist and we have done a good job of, of doing those. And some things take time. They're multi-generational and they have to just play themselves out. And that's, unfortunately, you don't get to, you don't get to see all of the, the fruits of your labor, if you will. So it better be about the labor. It better be about this feeling of gratitude 
that you get from serving something greater than yourself, from serving other people, from being, you know, fences might make good neighbors, but nice neighbors make good neighbors too. Like, you know, bake someone a pie. Don't put any razor blades or poison or whatever <laughs> shit in it. Like, bake them a nice pie, right? Homemade pie, show but up. But is it gluten-free? <laughs> <laughs> that one told me out. <laughs> you know? And it's like, come on, man. Simple acts of kindness go a long way. Fill your life with them. When I was little, the, one, the TV back then was really, really good. There was a thing called John Craven's News Round, which was almost like a BBC for kids. And you learn about all over the world. And often there are certain African nations that were going through um, droughts. Um, you know, they would, they would talk about that. And there's another uh, program called Blue Peter where they would always be doing community stuff, fundraising, you know, and, and every school would kind of join in and we'd send all our stuff to Blue Peter and you get a little badge if you did it. But that kindness and compassion was on the screens. And then you fast forward to you know, the last couple of decades here, and it's all about monopoly and business and smash the opposition, and even like, you know, football games, you're trying to kill the other team and all this stuff. And that's what I think one of the issues that I see is that where's the message of, of compassion and kindness? The one voice I've saw was Bernie and, you know, everyone just guffawed of oh, this guy talking about kindness. What a pussy. Let's get back to Trump. He seems like a real nice guy. You know, so I think that's one of the issues is where sell. are those voices? It no, doesn't exactly. sell as well. Exactly. So that, again, like Jason said, is back on us as a yeah. consumer. The same way as I've, I've talked about this, those god-awful magazines at the checkout in Publix that make up stuff about all these celebrities and Photoshop, people still buy that shit because it's still for sale. Mm -hmm. So we have to check ourselves, get that mirror back out yeah. and start demanding. Because I know that people like that stuff. There's a guy... Um, is now Sir Tom Moore. He passed away at 99 years old. He did laps of his house to make uh, to raise money for the NHS. He was a World War II vet, and uh, the British people. He ended up raising, I think it was like 10 million pounds. Oh, I saw that. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that there's goodness in people. Well, they you just find have to this be all led. the time. You post this all the time on your feed. I enjoy your feed a lot because it makes me smile, and you know, uh, it's redemptive. But you know the. Oh, I forgot I was going to say. <laughs> Never mind. And I'll come back. Um, go ahead. <laughs> Rich is still laughing about my joke. <laughs> well, Rich, you've seen that change. So what is your observation of the shift from the more, more community-based messages to this kind of competitive, be the, be the last man standing mentality that we've got to the point where we have, you know, two stores that will build right next to each other with the hopes that one will put the other one out of business rather than having community stores in every town that everyone can thrive. Well, it, it goes back to individual commitment uh, and, and not to beat a dead horse, but education is, is to make people smart. You know, Soundbite news that, that people get today, either on their phone, their iPad, their telephone, whatever, good news doesn't make news. <laughs> Bad news makes news because it's provocative and it, it grabs attention mm -hmm. and it excites people. People want to see other people in, in, in bad situations. I, I was looking the other day and, it, and just on Facebook alone, there's all these car dashboard cams and all they show is wreck after wreck after wreck after wreck. <laughs> and, it's like, you know, Gosh. I get tired of watching people do stupid yeah. things. So 
it, it goes back to to make them smart again, yeah. make people smart, and and bring them back to values. What Jason was talking about, value your life. Don't value the dishonor in others. Mm -hmm. Value your own life and make things positive. You need to look in the mirror. We've been talking about that the whole time. Make yourself a better person, maybe just in little ways to start with. But if you become a better person and then you commit to your community, and then your community commits to the nation. That's how you build nations. And that's how you keep them strong. Mm -hmm. And I think we've forgotten that. I, I think back, and I, I hate to go back on this all the time, but I think back of my grandparents and my parents that lived through the Depression, the Great Depression. Hobos would walk through the town. We see hobos, we now call them homeless people, walking up and down the streets. And we just... I even tend to do it sometimes. I, I ignore them. I just, I don't pay them a whole lot of attention. But when hobos would come up to the door at my grandmother's house and knock on the door and they'd offer to sweep the porch or do whatever for a bowl of soup. And she'd say, oh no, just come on in and I'll give you a bowl of soup. Mm -hmm. That was people helping others. Mm -hmm. That was positive. That was caring about others. That was being mm -hmm. compassionate. And wanting to make a better place. Just in that small little community, that little porch, that little kitchen, pass something on to someone else. It's all about doing something positive, mm -hmm. not negative. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of negative in my life. I mean, the military, the army, war. War is a negative. Hopefully it brings about ultimate positive results. That's what we all hope for. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But if you do something positive for people, and I think about the, the, the indigenous peoples I've worked with uh, and the gratitude that you receive from them by providing them some kind of service, how to build a better house, how to, how to sanitize their village. Don't take a shit in the stream upstream from the village. Do it downstream so that the water coming through the village is drinkable, potable water. I mean, just simple things, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And they're, they're grateful for that. And they express their gratitude in a number of ways. Strange food, weird liquor, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but, but it's really great because they, they give you what they have. And that that's being positive about people and compassionate. And that we need to get back to that. Yeah. We've lost that. We lose it in our telephones. <clears throat> as, you, as you walk around anywhere in America, anywhere in the world, everybody's got their head down in their telephone. They're not watching what's around them. And then they wonder why they get mugged in the parking lot at Walmart because they're watching some car crash on their, on their telephone. <laughs> on Rich's Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're not situationally aware. I mean, if someone falls down because they've had a heart attack, they wouldn't know because they're, they're, they're still watching those cars crash. If a mugger comes up, they miss that yeah. too. So it's better for them. It's better for the community. If they see somebody trip, a little old lady fall down, Pick them back up.
Rich, I think it's really cute how you call them telephones. <laughs> I remembered what I was going to say. I read a article recently about how, and this is a good news thing. I don't know we're on time, but it was it was talking about how last year in the pandemic caused a lot of people to to reconsider their lives and. Uh, there's there's plenty there's a lot of people you're not hearing about it as much as you know all the bad stuff but a lot of people have decided that they don't just want the money they want quality time with the people they love they want to spend more time outdoors so this is this is something that if if people can, you know, we can get education and we can start talking more about this. And I think you're doing a great job at that. You know, you're talking about these good news stories and you're staying out of the politics and out of the mess. And 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 I think they're they think they're finding that it's a lot it's a lot better life. You know, I mean, you're still going to have tragedies. You're still going to have tough times. That's not that doesn't go away. But you're able to weather the storms better together, you know, Um yeah. I, you know, Emily, you brought up a point, and I, I'll go back to it. Humans are gregarious by nature. Uh, early on, when they were chasing woolly mammoths and, and, and fighting off saber-toothed tigers, they did it for the good of the group. And they all lived in a cave together and drew weird pictures on the wall. <laughs> this will confuse them in a few thousand years' time. <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty much the same. I mean, you, you, when you look at the flag behind you with all the names on it, yeah, yeah that, that oh, looks like skills. cave art kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. But people can rediscover that. You know, the, the things that, that Goruck does, people are rediscovering how great it is to come together with like-minded people and do things outside they get rid of some of the obese uh, uh, tendencies that they have, and they they reconnect with society. They throw away their telephones, so to speak. <laughs> they leave them in the car, and they they participate in an event that may be 10, 12, 24 hours, whatever it might be. And that that connection, that's the community connection. That's the neighbor connection. That's... That's really what America and the world is all about. Because what do people really care about deep down? They care about family and friends. And they, they want to increase that. They think they can do it because they've got 1,275 friends on Facebook. Nope, not going to happen. You have friends by sitting down with people and learning about them educating yourself about their point of view and educating them on your point of view. And I think that's, that's a positive thing, and I think we need to get back to it. And hopefully groups like this can, can come together and make people aware of that. Well, and this is why I love the podcast element. Obviously, you, know, you guys have your own as well. Is As a listener, you have to just shut up and listen. You can't interact on the radio while you're mowing the grass or driving or whatever. So I think this is such a powerful medium, you know. Well, it's long form. Mm -hmm. It's not just it's not just sound bites, and it's fully democratized, which is which is great. When you think about it, we can have this conversation. You've got a wealth of of experience, right? I mean, you got someone who is literally in the fall of Saigon, watching this go down, 
you know, M's background in Intel, mine in the global war on terror. I mean, I, I, I go back to just, it's been, you know, the last 10 days, I mean, just chatting with Rich, I mean, it's like, he just, he just got this deja vu type stare and we talk about it. And, and this is really important for both of us. You know, it's really important. And, and I really want to stress this because, you know, we would be worse off without each other. If, if this was something where, if this was something where I'm just in, in my house and thankfully I have M and we talk about stuff as well and are on the same page and learn from each other, you know, but there's that kind of soldier's bond that, that each of us has, that we've risked our lives in these similar kinds of ways. And it's easier to talk about with each other. And you can say things without fear of judgment or, you know, th- that's what a friend is, right? Just tell me how you're feeling, brother, you know? And when you're able to do that, you just feel better. It's like right now, if you're all amped up, I mean, put your shoulders back, take 10 deep breaths, I mean, it will work like these little things. Or if, if you need to talk about something, then talk about it. Go find a friend and, and tell them how you're feeling. If that makes you vulnerable, choose a friend that you can be vulnerable with. You know, I mean, these are things that are, we're losing this and we need to, we need to, for our own health, our own mental health, physical health, our own fulfillment in life. We need to set ourselves up because, you know, most of the time, Rich and I are just, you know, bullshitting about whatever, right? Life in Florida is awesome. Everybody else is missing out, you know, <laughs> like we're talking about the workout and, you know, it, it just, you know, not small talk, but you build this rapport with somebody or, you know, I do the same thing with, with M, you know, we talk about our kids and, you know, we're, we share this life together when things get hard, you have that rapport that's built up and you have this trust between the two of you and it, and it allows you to, to more comfortably share emotions that are harder to share or that you would not otherwise feel comfortable doing that. That goes back to the same themes we're talking about. Humans are gregarious. We're social. We're meant to talk to each other. We're not meant to live a certain way on our phones. And, you know, M, not to oversimplify it saying, you know, about the whole, the phones thing. I, I agree with her. It's going, the second, third order effects of this are, are enormous. You can't trace it to, okay, well, this is exactly why Afghanistan is going the way it is, but start with our own lives. Is this making us happy? What are we fulfilled? Is this rewarding? What if we put our energy into something else that were more rewarding? like kids or, you know, education or, you know, tutoring at the local school. I don't know. Everybody has a superpower. Find it and give more of it away to, to others. And th- again, that's not the stuff that you can make memes out of, but it is the stuff that actually matters the most. And there is a an underbelly to this country that inherently knows this. It's really hard to break certain habits. It's really hard. And so you don't have to break them all at one time. You don't have to go cold turkey on everything today just because you're listening. And it's just make incremental progress. And, and you know... Use this as an opportunity to look at at ourselves in the mirror, right? 
at, at the most human level possible. What, what can we do? What can I do? Funny, my son just had his birthday and he uh, you know, got a bunch of presents and then uh, his mother and I split the price of a, on those water slides you put in the back garden and the next day, I was, she did it separately, we're divorced now, um, and he said to me, he said, Dad, um, is it bad to, to feel ungrateful about stuff? And I said, well, explain, what do you mean? He said, well, I know you spent this amount of money on, on the slide. He said, but I was also thinking, man, I wish they just spent that on more toys. And I told him, you know, I was like, well, no, I mean, because you have experiences. So it's not bad. We all have that little voice in us, but understand that you'll, you won't remember the Lego you had this year, but you'll remember the day you spent with your friends on the water slide. But it was, it's kind of an interesting analogy because he's come in before and told me, oh, dad, you know, I was, doing this and I helped this kid at school and I could see how full of pride he was and how good it felt but I remember being a young kid opening whether it's Christmas or birthday no matter how many presents I opened I always wanted more at the end of that so that feeling of giving that that feeling of of doing something for someone else without any expectation of reward there's an intrinsic system in our body I don't give a shit if you got it given gifted a ferrari or you know whatever it was there's nothing better than just like you said in the community doing something for someone else and if you just trust that because a million likes isn't going to make you feel good but when you hold a door for someone and, and it's you know an elderly person and they smile and say thank you that endorphin rush you can't match that with any social media response whatsoever we, we talk about you know this idea of a national service requirement and how, you know, kind of it would be a, a life-changing thing for a lot of people and it probably would, you know, fix a lot of the divisions too, you know, in that. So, you know, it's something that comes up and I've actually, it's not, it's not just Jason and me and Rich that talk about it. I hear it in other circles too, but, you know, some sort of, you know, giving back element that doesn't exist, you know, I mean, there's plenty of people doing things that are worthy and, and, and service related, but on a whole, this idea that, you know, we do ha have something to give back to our country and to everyone living here is pretty powerful. And, and on the education front, I'd love to see the Book It program come back. Remember Book It? Where you go to Pizza Hut and you got a personal pan for reading all those books. That was awesome. <laughs> and everybody loved it. I've never met someone who didn't love it. But, you know, it'd be well, really cool. Maybe Pizza Hut. Who knows the CEO, you know? Pizza Hut, come Bring back. Bring it back, man. Bring it back, right? And or someone else pick it up. Yeah, someone yeah. else. I mean, the other thing is you get businesses and, and things go like that. Book it. Yeah. <laughs> Rock it. That's not a bad idea. You get businesses and, and such on board with this idea of really rewarding the type of experience that someone who served brings. It doesn't have to be the military. You know, if you if you served your country, humanity, the Peace Corps, the special forces, whatever, and you're twenty five years old, that to me is is worth a lot when I when I look at hiring people or or anything like that. And if more people felt that way, you know, 
there would be more encouragement for that to happen. That's that doesn't have to be mandated or there's, there's ways to build this in where, you know, you, you give an economic incentive. We have one thing that money does is it does solve problems and we, we are blessed to have a lot of money. And if we can find trillions of dollars for wars, you can probably find some way to incentivize people to serve, to make it financially viable and then reward them with more education, which would which would translate to a step up in terms of their their economic impact or situation for the rest of their their lives, right? Like do this to your service, right? If you do this, you're eligible for this. And yes, you'll get people who will say, oh, you know, you shouldn't have to get paid extra college money to go serve. Like I signed up to fight the war, not for the college money. Awesome. Glad. We need all kinds of people to serve, right? Let's not just limit it to one or the other, because once you get bit by that bug, it leads to a, a, a more fulfilling life that, that binds us all together. There's a million different ways to, to work through this. It just, this has to be a priority. And, and we are at a point now where we, we can see groundswells of that. We're just on the tail end of a global pandemic and Afghanistan is going to be forgotten very soon. And, and then we're just a bunch of cheap people back to chasing normal as if normal was, was this, this utopia. Well, speaking of community, speaking of service, I want to get to one more area before we, we let, I say, I let you go. I'm in your place. You let me go. <laughs> um, so you had an incredible conversation here with Sarah Wilkinson, and then you just came back from being with Jocko. Um, I think the last time we, we all spoke. I think we talked about the upcoming Chad event. I did it myself. Um, I think right after he he passed away, I forget who it was, but someone posted it in the the CrossFit community, and we opened the gym up on a Sunday and just had a bunch of people show up. So talk to me about Chad. Now you've learned so much, obviously spending time with Sarah, and then kind of lead me through your event, um, memorializing and fundraising. So Chad was a, a SEAL Team Six guy. Killed himself in 2018, multiple reasons why, but the it's all the simple bullet points in, in essence, you know, TBI, PTSD, you know, just the, the physiological effects that happen from all the blast waves, all of this stuff, it changes your decision-making process. It's, it's hard to look at his, his life and his career, which you know, if, you, if you're going to sign up and go be a Navy SEAL or a special forces guys, well, specifically a SEAL, like that's the career that you want. You know, his father was a SEAL. His uncle was a SEAL. It's in his blood. He, he's not some kind of born, you know, this wasn't something that just was destined to happen, the, you know, and, and I've had to change my thinking on that. I, I, I thought for the longest time that you, you either have that gene or you don't, you're either going to, going to, going to consider suicide for a long time for your whole life or, or you're not. And it's, it's so much greater than that. There's so much more that goes into it. And, and so, you know, Sarah Wilkinson, God bless her. She has decided to publicly commit herself to honoring Chad's legacy and his story in the attempts to change the number of veterans who kill themselves right? In order to get that suicide number down to zero, 
I mean, that is the the stated goal. And so, you know, she's she's bravely getting out there and it's very hard for her. We've become good friends. M M and Sarah and I have become really good friends. And and uh you know, she's really put herself out there and has become a sounding board for a lot of people who struggle with with mental health. And, you know, Chad's specific story to the workout was, you know, he was training up to go climb Mount Aconcagua in 2018 early. And the way that he trained in Virginia Beach was he put a 45-pound rucksack and he did box steps. And, you know, then he did a thousand of them. He built up to that. And so that became the workout to, to honor his life and his service. And it's 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 a grind. It takes about an hour depending upon how much weight and you use and, and how much, cause you can scale it and how much, uh, you know, the height of the box, if you will, but it's a thousand step ups and it, it's designed to bring people together the, the workout. So it's kind of, you, you, you're empowered to take this workout and do it where you are with a group of people. We have a couple places where we're doing it kind of in, in mass. One is right here, November 6th. There's Virginia beach. There's, San Diego, Jocko is on record. Jocko's gonna gonna do it out in San Diego, and you know we're we're using this as a way to to talk about veteran suicide prevention. That is not as it, it oftentimes gets simplified into call one eight hundred, you know, suicide prevention or what one eight hundred get help or something, and people don't know what to do. And it's, it's people want to help. There's not a single person that doesn't want this to go away, right? It's just how do we do it? And to us, it's in line with the themes that we've talked about here. Mass veteran suicide, where lots of veterans get together and, and all commit suicide at the same time is not a thing. It doesn't happen. It's when someone gets isolated from the pack and they, they go down a, a dangerous path. And it becomes hard to bring them back. Well, we need to strengthen those communities. If that means veteran to veteran, if that means veteran to community, if that means community to community, because this is not just a veteran issue. Suicide affects damn near everyone based upon the feedback from, from last year. So this is the, the second annual. There's a lot of great partners that have, that have lined up to, to do this. It's accessible enough. And by that, I mean, it's, it's step-ups. You can do this if, if you train for it and it's, it's designed to be hard. This is not 22 push-ups, and you get to post about it online and have your great moment there. That's, that's fine. I'm not against that per se, but I don't think it actually works. I think that things have to, to be, be made a little bit more real. And if you treat this correctly, you're, you're training up for it. You know what you're training up for. You're thinking about this. Then you gather with other people, family members, loved ones, your CrossFit box, your your gym, your community, your Go Ruck Club, whatever, right? And you know why you're there. You don't have to have mass therapy sessions or anything. You're strengthening bonds of community in the real world. And that has a that has a direct impact on how we feel as people. And and that is the kind of thing, those those human connections that will actually change the number. So we're really, really proud of this. You can find out more at chad1000x.com. And, and we also promote this heavily on, on GORUCK's social media channels, which I hope you don't live on. But if you are on there, you can certainly check those out. Those are the causes that we like to use those channels to, to promote. And we're, we're always happy to, to talk about that. And it's really important to us to, to stress that we, we kind of 
serve at Sarah's pleasure on this, and it's an honor to do so. We're we're helping her carry this flag forward. She is she is running point, and it's it's something that it, it's a walk that she has to walk, and and we're just she can't do it alone. You know, she needs a support structure. Her friends, us, we're her friends too. And we're really happy to to involve our community and get more people out for, for this cause. Beautiful. Have, have either of you got anything to add as far as, you know, what you've seen the last couple of years with the event or anything to add with the mental health side? Yes. Uh, in addition to this event that it's gone global with the Chad 1000X and people doing it like like you mentioned, just your gym getting together and people doing it in their garages. Uh, GORUCK is going to be working with Sarah and some um, friends in the community in about five locations. We're going to actually do live, like bigger live events. That's going to be in Fort Pierce, Florida at the Navy SEAL Museum, San Diego, Virginia Beach, Jacksonville, and New York City. So we're going to be putting those up on our site pretty soon. People can sign up. There'll be a special patch in addition to the the, the patch that you get for donating to um, the, the causes that are related to um, veteran mental health. And on that note, there is, um, you know, we've talked about Sebastian Younger and, you know, how his book Tribe talks a lot about what what we've been talking about today, about community and veterans and what it means to contribute to society. And we got connected through him and um, he has this initiative called Veterans Town Hall, Vet, Vets Town Hall. And we will be hosting um, several of those forums in conjunction with with his team, um, just in a support capacity, which is really interesting because it's basically allowing veterans to get in front of a, a crowd and talk for about 10 minutes um, about their experience. And it's one way they get up and it's apolitical, um, but it's supposed to encourage this sort of um, understanding of what it's like to to serve your country in that capacity. So, you know, some interesting work that we're uh, that we're really you know interested and dedicated to doing. Um, so, yes, and, and just a side note, you know, social media it's a tool, right? We, we, we people run businesses on it. People use it to get the words out to do good things. <laughs> um, but I guess it's just having the wherewithal to know when to put it down, you know, it's like with anything, right? It's just having that space and, and being cognizant and aware of that. So, yeah, I mean, just because your, your nice neighbor brings you a pie over doesn't mean that you should just eat pie all day, every day until you're just gorging yourself, right? Some moderation people, come on, you know, and this has been great, by the way, it's nice to kind of, I mean, well, I'm frankly, I'm pretty fired up about what's going on. In, in Afghanistan and just, you know, the ripple effects of that. And it is, it is, I don't, I don't usually feel like this. I'm pretty able to, you know, not feel like this and it's, it's useful and productive. I mean, Emily got here this morning. I'm like, I need a hug. That is basically never happened. I mean, <laughs> you know, like that in work morning. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, it's, it's not something that has, 
and that's just where I am right now. And so, you know, it's, it's useful and productive for us to talk to you and for us to talk together about this and talk through it. And we've had some other veterans and, and we've talked through this as well. And I would just encourage more of that, right? More people getting together, break bread together, have a couple beers together, do some push-ups together, go outside and ruck together, whatever. Get together with some other people and talk about what's going on, how you're feeling. You feel this kind of, you feel better it, when, when you're done. And that's... And really great productive things come out of those kind of conversations. Absolutely. You know, we don't realize that. You can't just sit in your, you know, room and, you know, come up with ideas just on your own. You have to, you have to get with other people, I think. Beautiful. Rich, anything to add before we... Uh... No, I think we've said it just about all. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've covered soup to nuts. <laughs> yeah.